Hello and welcome to The Urbanist, Monocle 24's programme about the cities that we call home. I'm your host, Andrew Tuck. Coming up... It's big tragedy. Big tragedy for our hometown, for our country. I'm a former boxer and one saying, no fight, no win. And that's why we're still fighting. We want Bucha to also be the symbol of how you could create nice place for living after the big tragedy. Five months after Russian forces invaded the country, we travelled to Ukraine to listen to the stories of its people, see the destruction in Bucha and witness a nation that truly embodies the word resilience. Over the next two episodes of The Urbanist, we're going to take you with us on our travels as we speak to mayors, activists, residents and officials who are rebuilding destroyed apartments and businesses, defending the nation's borders and making better cities to call home. But we witnessed something else too. It's summer, cafes, restaurants and parks are open. For Ukrainians, it's simply a matter of getting on with things as best they can. And why should everyday life and its little joys all have to stop? Monocle's Carla Tribello reports. It's a hot Saturday morning when we begin our journey to Ukraine. The war has pushed aircraft out of the skies and a trip that could previously be done on a short-haul flight from London now takes an entire day. A brief flight to Krakow, a car to Prezhmyl on the border and a train into Ukraine later, we arrived in Lviv nearly 27 hours after first departing the United Kingdom. As one of the largest cities in western Ukraine and just 70 kilometers from the border with Poland, Lviv has become a key entry and exit point since the start of the war. Almost overnight, it transformed into a hub for diplomats, as nearly 100 embassies temporarily relocated here. Today, it's home to one of the largest populations of IDPs, internally displaced persons. But despite being one of the furthest cities away from the front line, signs of the conflict can be found all around. In the inner courtyard of City Hall, officials give civilians regular briefings on what to do in case of a chemical weapon attack. On the lower ground floor, corridors that used to host the works of the Municipal Museum now serve as a bomb shelter for staff and citizens. I caught up with Lviv's mayor, Andriy Sadovy, in his office to talk about how the war has changed his city and his job. Completely changed my life. One part until 24 February and new life from 24 February until today. Every day I'm in job, no weekend, everyday conversation and every day funeral ceremony. And I feel a huge duty and huge responsibility about situation in my city. And I think about support uh, Ukrainian soldiers, build territorial defense, maximum support my new citizens, IDPs, and make everyday service. This huge uh, city, one million uh, population, a lot of different problems. And we uh, must prepare city 
two winter. You are constantly not only dealing with what's happening in the moment, but planning for how things might change in the yes. future. Yes, yes. Last year, I had a special program together with uh, British Emergency Planning College name uh, this uh, program Resilience. It is a very, very special uh, program. We um, predict emergency situation. And uh, six months before Russian invasion, I gave task my energy department uh, prepare a possibility to transmit water to Lviv without electricity. My colleague told me, it's not possible. It's, not, it's completely not possible. But today it is possible. We can transmit water to Lviv without electricity. Two months ago, three Russian missiles attacked three electrical stations. Completely destroyed. And we uh, switch our system and citizens They didn't even notice this problem. You mentioned resilience there, and that's such a big part of what being a mayor is, and it's dealing with all these issues of city life. Are you able to still deal with that side of city administration while dealing with what's happening with the war, with the IDPs? Are you able to keep that other side of what would perhaps be your job if the war wasn't going on? First of all, I have a lot of experience in city administration and we also know that mayors are people who are always very proactive. When it comes to the war, I always have to keep in mind the possibility of something really happening here. But there are many other issues that Lviv citizens have that also need to be addressed. And then there are some peculiarities of our characters as Ukrainians too. People have a lot of questions that they want to ask authorities. But on the other hand, we all also know how to self-organize and be self-disciplined. I call this the code of a bee, like a swarm. You automatically know what you have to do to survive. What lessons do you think other cities and other countries can take from Lviv in particularly and the work you've been doing here in helping the IDPs and people displaced by war and ensuring city life continues. So the mayor of Tallinn arrived here at the very beginning of the war and when he saw everything that we had prepared in advance to be resilient, he was really shocked because most cities of the world have this perception that they will never be at war again and that things will always be great. The Deputy Minister of Defense of Latvia wants to send a delegation to Ukraine to have training in combat trauma with our medical personnel because they do not really have this experience. When people come here, it's a chance to see how things are actually working right now. This is not some sort of a book that you can read and later forget. You come here and you see it firsthand. The whole world should understand that these things could happen at any time. It's a great school of life. Now, it's clear that this conflict has appended the already complex roles of municipal government. Running a city is challenging at the best of times, let alone during a war. That becomes even more complicated if it's a capital city. Inevitably, it will become a target. 
This is something that Kyiv's mayor, Vitaly Klitschko, knows firsthand. In the early days of the conflict, Russia launched a failed attempt to take it over and has been threatening to repeat it ever since. We spoke at City Hall and I started by asking Mayor Klitschko about the current mood in his city. Right now for us it's a very difficult uh, task. Uh, from one side, we try to bring our community to normal life, usual life, to start to business work because it's very important for economy of uh, our hometown. From another side, we have to follow the rules. Uh, we live in the war and uh, curfew, it's strong rules, the uh, checkpoints and normal life. It's very difficult to put everything together. But we try to do it and uh, give the services to every citizens. I'm responsible for services, for electricity, for uh, water, for heating, for save the people, defending our hometown. It's so many, so many challenges right now we have. And it's pretty difficult to put everything together. We actually never, not anyone have experience in uh, this crisis uh, situation. But uh, we study pretty fast and uh, actually right now everything under control in our hometown. But uh, we have a lot, a lot of challenges. Of course, this being the capital of the country, the city itself is a big target. You being the mayor of Kyiv, you are a target as well. How do you deal with that, with being a target during this war and keeping the city and yourself safe? Come on, it's every Ukrainian is target. Yes, of course, the target was capital of Ukraine, Kyiv. It's still target. Uh, I'm more than sure it's not the war. It's genocide where kill people. And the images from from Butcher, Peng, Gostomil, Borodyanka show for whole world the r- true face of this war. Actually, the war have rules, but this war doesn't have rules. Kill children, women's. All people killed civilian and explain liar. And that's why to think about, about myself, I am former officer and uh, I'm uh, coming from military family and my father was military, my grandfather and uh, the biggest uh, honor for every man to defend your country. And that's why we're doing everything what depends from us. Not defend ourselves, defend the countries, defend our cities. It's our mission. Everyone, everyone from more than um, 40 million Ukrainians is target of Russian aggression. Do you feel like it's hitting a point now that attention somehow is going down from the international community to Ukraine? Or do you still feel that support from other mayors, other countries? I wonder, now we're nearly reaching six months on, how are you feeling that support from the international community? It's very important for us to feel support. I know the millions of refugees right now in Europe and around the world. We need the help because our economy is destroyed. Our infrastructure is destroyed. The life of Ukrainians is destroyed. And right now we need political support, we need economical support, and we need also defensive weapons support. We are uh, fighting for Europe. We are fighting for and defending values, democratic values. We don't want to live in, in, in dictature, in authority. We are fighting right now for European values, 
human rights, press of freedom, democratic values, what we're fighting for. You mentioned earlier infrastructure and, of course, all the destruction, but there's also a lot of rebuilding already happening to ensure the city can carry on and a lot of these essential services and aid can be delivered. Talk to us a bit about that importance of rebuilding even as this aggression goes on and this destruction goes on for the functioning of the city and also for the well-being of your residents and citizens. Yeah, the critical infrastructure is life. Uh, important for our hometown. Before the war, we have three and a half million citizens in our hometown. A lot of people left, majority is children and women. In Kyiv, uh, right now, we have, we guess, uh, around 200,000 refugees from the uh, East region. They need help, and we try to give the help, organize everything. It's uh, three million people right now in Kyiv. And they need the services every day, and we're responsible for. We don't have a budget right now. It's we have a budget of surviving, because the economy doesn't work well. The no investment right now. There's uh, a lot of jobless people, but we do it everything, and uh, we try to rebuild right now. The, actually, in our hometown, destroyed more than 600 buildings, 200. 20 buildings, apartments, where live people, and uh, more than 120 people uh, killed from a uh, rocket attack. More than 500 people was injured and uh, killed four children in this aggression just in our hometown. It's my responsibility, uh, life important to, to bring the services for everyone, everyone in our hometown. It's not easy in this period of time, but, but we're doing everything what we can. What is the thing you love the most about Ukraine and about your city, Kyiv? We have actually great plans in this summer. Behind me is great wave bridge in Abalone. It's some, one of the famous parks in our hometown, in Park Natalka. We have to be open. We're freezing. We're freezing right now rebuilding the main street Khrushchev. We have to rebuild the parks. We have a lot of plans how we developed our city. And this war destroyed all plans. I'm actually enjoyed to be actually politics duty job, to be honest. But in my position, not just promising to delivering the new objects, uh, new buildings, new preschools, schools, rebuild the streets, and to change by myself my hometown. I enjoy, enjoy the job. But right now, we can do that. We can do that right now. We're fighting. We're fighting for for every citizens, and it's big tragedy big tragedy for our hometown, for our country. I'm former boxer, former fighter, and one saying, no fight, no win. And that's why we're still fighting. That failed attempt by Moscow to take over Kyiv in early March placed many other towns and cities in the warpath of Russian forces. Hostomel, Irpin and Bucha all made international headlines after being liberated as the reality of the horrors committed by Russia started to emerge. Months later, the scars are still visible. Nearly 3,000 buildings were destroyed and more than 1,000 people killed in what became known as the Bucha Massacre. 
Yet there's a defiance in this act of carrying on. I headed over to Bucha and Irpin to find out more. I am Helena Skorek-Shkarivska. I am the deputy mayor here in Bucha. You could call me Mika. It's, uh, in fact, officially it's the end of my day because we walk from 8 to 5 p.m. It's uh, 30 minutes past 5, but I think it's the earliest when I'm going out, <laughs> thanks to you, <laughs> almost in time. And the idea is that we will go around uh, the Bucha city and you will see how green and nice it is. We visit the church, unfortunately, at the place of tragedy, where we had mass grave and all the bodies are exhumated, but they are not identified yet. Not all are identified. And after that, we will go to the park and we will see our, for me, best corner of Bucha, the lake and the park, which was under the attack from the first days, because it's very close to Antonov Cargo Airport, where Putin was trying to drop off the troops. So you will see the peaceful life but at the same time, for the locals, it's all the places are marked by the war and by the occupation and by the invasion. So your job day-to-day is to go through that and try to uh, right the part, moment? Part of it. We are in cooperation with the relatives, trying to find uh, those who were not identified yet. We have uh, like dozens of not identified at the moment. It's 119 body bags, and we are talking about 116 bodies. Do you mind if I ask how you feel about looking at those images every day? Uh, For me, it's a job and uh, somebody has to do it. Uh, That's like my duty and also that's my service for the local families because I have a dream. I want to identify everybody. I want to create the list, full list of those who were killed, not only in Bucha, but in Bucha district in total, in all communities. Every person uh, should have her or his own name. My car is in the in the yard. So that's the main street, and Arhetikiv Street, where uh, the Bucha City Council on the right, the local hospital on the left and straight there there is the church uh, where we had this mass grave and the story is that Russians when they controlled Bucha in uh, the middle of um, March didn't allow to bury people in the proper way because cemeteries on the right and on the left but they said okay if you bury the bodies of those who were killed or died in the hospital here near the church. Let's go and have a look in brief. Go just like this. Uh, and uh, if you look at the church, you will see the holes uh, that when Russian entered Bucha, they shot just straight into the building by heavy weapon and also by from the automatic gun just for fun. Of course, some of them we removed and we repaired the windows and uh, small destroyment, but you could see. 
Was anyone inside uh, when they were shooting at the uh, building? No, because this church, this this is upper church, it was not operating. So the priest was here till the day where that grave were made. And after that, he was evacuated uh, via Green Corridor. And uh, right now, is the church back to yeah. being open to people? Yes, the priest Andrew opened it in April, uh, just after the liberation, and we even had a very good Easter ceremony here, near the church, around the church. And there, far there, that's the place of the mass grave. Now it's just the grass but and the cross. But three months ago, that was the place of tragedy where the police and the investigation teams were exhuming body by body. And now that's the place where official delegations are coming almost every day, sometimes several delegations per day. And you see that's the place where we have candles, flowers in the remembrance of those who were killed, who were murdered for nothing on the territory of Bucha and Bucha community. kept this car just for the fishing before the war. But now when my colleague criticizing me, I'm explaining, look, it's ideal war car. Don't worry. It's good. It's it's reliable. Yeah. We call it like Koltek because it's called Mitsubishi Colt, so we call it Koltek. Koltek, it's like my security. <laughs> Keeps you safe and takes you everywhere. Yes. My security guy. <laughs> So tell me about the park we're going to now. Um, in fact, Bucha is very green and it was a middle-class suburb before the war and the city of young families. Uh, the biggest problem we had before that was uh, not enough classes in schools, not enough kindergartens for the young families. And now uh, when I came to Bucha for the first time after the liberation, I saw like empty streets, almost no cars and no kids at all and when we saw like three years old girl for the first time um, her grandfather asked not to give her sweets because every adult was trying to give sweets to the oh you don't see the destroyment so we will not stop because it's covered and it's under the reconstruction now there's a lot of rebuilding already going on we counted that almost 3,000 buildings were destroyed and we have the analysis that uh, 2,000 from them could be repaired fast, like in months, two months or three months' time, if we have enough people to work, material to repair and money to do that. And we are trying to do this fast repairing um, as quick as possible in order to be prepared for the very hard winter. And uh, so we are started from uh, small destroyment and we are planning to move to the heavily destroyed places afterwards. It's very important to finish this as much as possible before the wet period, otherwise after the winter the situation will become worse than it is. But you see that like city is active, it's kids are playing football on the left. We have uh, cafes and restaurants, lots of them are operating. 
So now it's like normal life, not like it was in April when we had no electricity, no mobile connection, no gas, no water, nothing. Just like minus five or plus eight without heating inside the houses, very cold. So we are happy that which is recovering so fast. We are turning right. This is the road to the park and it was empty for the first time when I was driving here, but now you see even the park is operating like it usually during the summertime. Of course, we will see less people than usual, but you could see a nice lake where I could swim on the right. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. A year ago, in such a day, it would be very hard to drive through, but now it's not like this, but life is coming back. We are in the Bucha City Park. We are near the lake and we were discussing how to name it. Maybe it's like just a park lake because it's the only park uh, lake in the Bucha. We see people who are staying in the water, who are swimming. Of course, few of them, but they are enjoying the summertime like they did a year ago. We have lots of young families and young people here. For us, it's the sign of recovering and we hope that we will have more and more people coming back to Busha uh, in the nearest future. But you could see even in this park the signs of the war, like here. There was some sort of result of bombing here, even in the park. We don't know why Russians attacked the park, attacked the just nice place. No military inside, but they did. We fixed all we could do during this time after the liberation. Um, we have Redfish Lake on the left and we wonder whether the fishes are there and they are. Here we're stepping, we can hear the water, but we're seeing yeah. another yeah. sign of the destruction. Um, yeah. How and do you feel about that? Um, look, but that's the reality because um, this war is, for Ukrainian, that's war because of nothing, but in fact we understand that that's um, like civilization war between the dictatorship and democracy, between like European um, willing of Ukrainians to be a part of democratic world and uh, Russian um, ambitions to control all the territory. But we realize that Putin doesn't need people here he needs the land without Ukrainians, the land without people. So his dream is empty parks and empty streets, no kids, no families here. Our answer should be we need to fight and to live at the same time. Do you have a lot of cooperation at the moment with other cities, both in Ukraine and outside? We are building relations city to city. Because they are very helpful. For example, we signed an agreement with Kashkaish in Portugal, and they are supporting us to repair some kindergarten or school. 
we signed the agreement with Bergamo and they are helping us to um, reconstruct kindergarten Havrilivka village in Bucha community. We also have very good friends in Lithuania, Palanga, and Palanga helped us with uh, food supply and with lots of stuff from the early beginning. We also trying to build up a friendship with German and French city. The mayor of Dunkirk gave a proposal for us to be the sister city and we think that's the good symbol of recovering in the world. So we want Bucha to also be the symbol of how you could create nice place for living after the big tragedy. So we're just leaving the park. Where are we heading now? So we are going the same route as Russian tanks did in February. First attack on Bucha was on the 26th of February. That was their first attempt to drive through Bucha to Kyiv. And they lost all their tanks and all their troops on this street, this Vokzalna street. It's long from Gostomel via Bucha to Irpin. So we are driving the same route. And you see the result of the war even now. Is it strange for you now to drive this road or are you used to it? For me, it's normal street at the moment. But of course, for those who were staying under the occupation, it's the road of pain. Because lots of people who were trying to evacuate suffered here because they were attacked by Russians or checked by Russians. Uh, they took out the clothes, they took all the telephones, computers and destroyed all the equipment of those who were trying to escape. So I know from my colleagues and from my friends that for them it's hard to go the same routes. You see the normal street, but in memory of lots of people, it's very dangerous road because of that experience. And you could see the restaurant destroyed on the left and how it's rebuilding. Oh, completely destroyed with the windows blown out and you can see the smoke from an exp- the explosion. Look at the right, that's the biggest supermarket. I used to buy all the food here and it's robbed and it's closed. What's written on and the side? That's our sign for the Russian. What does it mean? Russians fuck off. Russians ship fuck off. It's a saying from the Snake Island. Yes. That's true. And that's the symbol of our fight at the moment. It feels like um, a lot of the life that's back in the city is operating as it can. You you know, as you, we just saw this market, it's open, it's trading, but there's no windows. They are using plastic. The first, the first floor is closed. You'll have a pharmacy that's blown apart next to a restaurant that's operating. If you look around, it was a very nice place for living, one of the beautiful small districts inside the Bucha. And Russians went here from flat to flat because they were nicely furnished and with new TV and lots of new equipment inside. They robbed all the apartments here. And you see destroyed townhouses and Ukrainian flag at the entrance. Even now you could rent this place and the sign is that, look, it's for rent. So I don't know whether they find somebody to rent, but they are ready. That's, that's how it is in the 21st century. 
And now we are crossing the bridge. This bank is Bucha and the opposite bank is Irpin. It's just 20 meters or I think we could stop near the cultural house. We had very nice cultural house here in Irpin, which was completely destroyed. That's Irpin, the battlefield city. I don't like this smell. Yeah. So we are inside the inside the cultural house and you see that everything is burnt and destroyed. And you see that the roof is down there instead of the place where the people who were enjoying the concert were sitting. So that's the stage, that's the place for visitors. So now it's nothing. We need lots of money to repair it. Do the citizens here in Irpin, did the destruction of this building in particular affect them? Because um, you were mentioning how this is a place, you know, that people really enjoyed coming, that almost I, a place I of think pride. For those who enjoyed the concert here and for the cultural people who were coming here, they, of course, that's a big, big loss. Because it's not so effective maybe like to lose the house, but that's the cultural place where people were enjoying nice music or good concerts. Awful to see the destruction like this. And it was quite a nice building itself. It was the biggest concert hall and cultural house in the region. I think for the community and for the city, it's very big loss. As we said goodbye to Mika outside Irpin's cultural house, I can't help but reflect on the resilience of everyone we've encountered. As we face this burned-down building, city life continues. Children need to be picked up from nursery, workers clock off from their desk jobs, and sun-kissed faces stroll down the street after a day spent by the lake. It's perhaps fitting that this is the last spot we visit today. After all, it was here that Eurovision winners Kalush Orchestra recorded parts of their music video to Stefania. There's light amidst the rubble. For Monocle in Ukraine, I'm Carlotta Rubello. And that brings us to the end of part one of our Ukraine special here on The Urbanist. You can read the full report of our nine-day journey across the country in the brand-new September issue of Monocle magazine, which is out today. Find us in all good newsstands or support our independent journalism by becoming a subscriber at monocle.com. Next week here on The Urbanist. In some Ukrainians' families, it is an honour to own the car. We want to change the situation and to be like uh, today everyone needs to have at least one bike <laughs> after our victory. It must be better than it was before. So sustainable mobility now is a perfect time to cancel all our old marshrutkas and uh, diesel uh, gasoline cars and to make city more sustainable, more ecological. Today's episode of The Urbanist was produced and edited by Carlotta Rabello and David Stevens. And to play you out of this week, here's Kalush Orchestra with Stefania. Thank you for listening, City Lovers. Stefania.